This portion of our program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, right off of 146. Delicious food and drink, always a nice crowd. You can either eat in the lounge area, there's normally a game on and a nice group of people there, or you could sit out in the dining room. Don't forget the nice weather, they have the deck open. The Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln, delicious food and drinks awaiting for you. I'll see you at the Lodge. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. So, former Vice President Mike Pence set to jump into the race. Chris Christie, former Governor of New Jersey, set to jump in. This is the piece on the Today Show. Race, the Republican field set to grow again, while the frontrunner Donald Trump does face more legal troubles. NBC's chief White House correspondent Kristen Welker's got the latest. Kristen, good morning. New host of Meet the Press. Hi, Savannah. Good morning to you. The GOP primary is heating up this week with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and former Vice President Mike Pence poised to enter the race. And it comes amid yet another new development in the legal battles facing the Republican frontrunner, former President Trump. Today, the Justice Department's investigation into former President Trump's handling of classified documents may be at a turning point, with the grand jury that has been hearing evidence in the case expected to meet again this week, according to multiple people familiar with the investigation. If special counsel Jack Smith decides to indict Mr. Trump, it would be the first time a former president has been charged with a federal crime. Mr. Trump has denied any wrongdoing, arguing he had the right to keep classified material at his Mar-a-Lago estate. I took the documents I'm allowed to. Everything I did was right. We have the Presidential Records Act, which I abided by 100%. The former president is also under investigation for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election by the Justice Department and prosecutors in Georgia. And in New York, he's pleaded not guilty to felony charges of falsifying business records, with his trial set to begin next March. Mr. Trump remains the overwhelming Republican frontrunner for 2024, trailed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, campaigning in South Carolina over the weekend, taking aim again at Mr. Trump's claim that he can fix the country in six months. Don't let anyone tell you they can do this in 24 hours or in six months or anything like that. Uh, This is going to be trench warfare. Mr. Trump also facing criticism from his former U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley, who's also running over the January 6th attack on the Capitol. He thinks it was a beautiful day. I think it was a terrible day. I'll always stand by that. And the candidates lashing out at Mr. Trump this weekend over his recent praise of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, including his former vice president, Mike Pence, who's expected to announce his campaign in Des Moines, Iowa, this week whether it's my former running mate or anyone else. No one should be praising the dictator in North Korea. Also entering the race, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who's set to kick off his run in New Hampshire tomorrow, according to two sources familiar with his plans. And the question becomes, looking forward, who starts to take the toughest shots against the former president? Guys, back to you. All right, here's the way that I see this. No one is laying a glove on him. Folks, President Trump remains, come on, he is, he's, he's beyond the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And I like the way he just sizes up Chris Christie's wasting his time. It's true. And even if they get on a stage, he can still give it as much as he can take it. Um, I think, and, and even them going after him for Kim Jong-un and so forth, pr- President Trump remains the front runner and i think a lot of the things that he says i still think it's one of those things that people may i everyone's supposed to say that january 6th was this terrible day but you know many of us and many of you and we recognize um i'm going to come back to what i've said is people watched a summer of rioting and looting looting and protesting with no repercussions so as a result of that, it doesn't have the effect. I've even referred to it as trespassing day. All right, so some people get out of control, but they didn't really, well, not really steal anything. They took a couple things out of Nancy Pelosi's office. Uh, they were in the Senate chambers. They could have done things. They could have taken the building, building hostage. That's not what, what's happened. They didn't start a fire. They, didn't, they broke windows to get in there, but 
I don't buy this narrative. And as far as democracy under attack, what do you call our form of voting right now, at least in, in our this region of the country? Rhode Island is the worst. We don't have fear elections. I don't know about you. I don't have representation. And I'm not, I, I think Aaron Ruggenberg right now could be the favorite to win the Democrat primary. Seth Magazina doesn't represent me in Congress. Senator Whitehouse doesn't represent me in Congress. David Cicilline certainly did not. So as far as democracy under attack, I think they're the ones that put it under attack. All right, so more people are piling in. I, I think they still think there's a belief that as President Trump gets some of these legal challenges and hurdles that could be coming his way, but he's still standing up. He still is the most gifted speaking to the people. He is. And um, it's not the same as 2016, but you come back to right now on that stage. I don't see anyone that's going to knock out the champ. You got to beat the champ. Um, as far as partisan politics, is there anyone more partisan than than Biden that used the Oval Office and tricked the networks into carrying that speech and then instead he just used it again to slam the Republican Party. So I, the, the partisan politics, um, in so many ways you can argue that, I, I, you don't see any reaching across the aisle. This, this was, un, it was unusual to see Kevin McCarthy and the president, meaning President Biden, and sitting down and carving that out. But I think that um, without question, he he remains the front runner, and I I I don't see anything that's going to change that dynamic. I've been holding out. I've been like many of you. I know. Pe I think people are open, maybe to another candidate, but I unless something changes based on what we're seeing right now and let, we'll see how they handle themselves on the debate stage i someone who i am impressed with is senator tim scott so maybe he would be the choice to be the vp candidate perhaps um i don't know if he's ready for the big chair we'll see but nikki haley does not impress me chris christie if he's going to use it to just attack president trump i i think he's a very effective guy Governor Christie. I've met him. I've interviewed him. Um, I agree with a lot of his politics. But if he's going to enter the race just to kind of say to everyone, here's how you slap around President Trump, I don't think it's going to be successful. And the more that this field scatters, now, now it sounds like President Trump is not even going to be on that debate stage. Come August is the first one. It sounds like a lot of people are not going to be on the debate stage. They're not going to do the two different tables because then you do have people like larry elder have announced and there's a couple of other people that are announced but they're just not automatically getting on to the stage and i i it's tough to argue with that i i've just really soured on people and we saw it locally that just run for the sake of running they feel they don't have to raise money they feel they don't have to gain enthusiasm they feel like they don't have to gain support they just feel it's up to the media to cover them and that they should automatically be in. And it just doesn't work that way. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. Next time you have an emergency, think AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Johnston. That's right in the Atwood Medical Center. And also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, right across from Felicia's. At Med Urgent Care, when you have an emergency, they specialize ambulatory medicine. They provide immunization, school, and sports physicals. At At Med Urgent Care, they provide comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families. They're on duty at all times. They're open seven days a week. Walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical. Now, if you're in a car accident, go to At Med Urgent Care. Avoid the long wait at the emergency rooms. They also do adult vaccinations, laboratory testing, at-med urgent care when it's an emergency, 1524 Atwood Avenue in Johnston, that's right, in the Atwood Medical Center, and also 5750 Post Road, East Greenwich, online at admedurgentcare.net. Folks, you're listening 
to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It's time for our segment, Politics, this week. Joining me, he's the managing editor, IncoRising.com. It is our friend, Justin Katz. Justin, there's a lot to kind of dig into regarding the state budget, um, and we're going to go through some different facets of it. But I'd just like to hear some of your initial thoughts, impressions, as, again, it still has to be fully pushed through, but we certainly have a better understanding of what it's going to look like. First rendition of the state budget. Well, the, the overall impression is kind of similar to always. I mean, with more money going around, it's, it's, it's really just a competition of special interests, and everybody gets a little of this, a little of that, a little of something else. Uh, the people who get the least are Rhode Island taxpayers because we have no dedicated special interests because our representatives don't represent us. Uh, but I think one of the more interesting angles that I, I the well, impressions that I get is it looks like a lot of McKee's campaign promises by which he bought his union support and therefore the governorship just didn't pay off. And it, it's you could almost read some of it as a statement by the legislative leaders, Senate President Ruggiero and House Speaker Shikarchi, to the to the unions like you you can you can buy yourself a governor but you're not done uh, that's that's not the only influence you need because there are a number of those kind of pet projects uh, that that just didn't make the cut at least not yet i mean maybe people are jockeying for a better deal but so uh, apart from the large spending it's just uh you know divvy up the special interest money and and just ignore even even a pittance for the taxpayers it's it's really just we just keep paying and that's that's all there is to it and let, let's talk about and Justin, you're, you're a numbers guy. Just the sheer magnitude of it. I mean, it, it shouldn't be lost on people. And what is your takeaway that before the pandemic where the budget was, I, I, I believe, I mean, it's, I, I, are we saying it's 48% higher than that? When you, you think about it, the, the amount and the large element of, of government, just the sheer size of it in Rhode Island, it, it just becomes this, this machine that just keeps getting bigger and bigger is, I, I don't know anyone, there's, there's no way that the state needs a $14 billion budget. Yeah, not, a, not at all. We saw this a little bit during when Obama, uh, President Obama gave a surge of spending and as, as stimulus to state to governments. The, the budget went way up and then it didn't go all the way back down and they lots of lots of grief about how they're having to have tightened belts and all this stuff. And they're, they're doing the same thing now. And one of the things that was kind of, I don't know, maybe it's my old fashioned sensibilities, but it seemed kind of surprising to me was just the kind of the, the openness, especially from Shikarchi, that, oh, well, we just have to figure out how to spend all this federal money. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost as if they've just got this money. They don't really need it, but they have to go out and find ways to spend it so that they don't, you know, none of their special interests lose out on the opportunity for some cash. Uh, we do not need a 14 billion dollar budget in the state of no Florida. it's just it is not and and all it does is and we're, we're seeing this is it it encourages more corruption it, it makes it, it makes government even more the kind of the whole star of the state and that's that's really all it is the people giving out as we saw with you know McKee, our governor people giving out it gives politicians an opportunity to buy favors um, political favors mostly uh by by handing off somebody else's money and the idea that they can't use any of this to to reduce taxes to a significant degree they don't do right. anything to change i mean when i mean having spent a lot of time watching watching government the even the good government people will spend spend the money but what they'll do is they'll say well let's not do short term uh well, one thing, don't don't build anything to the budget. We won't be able to fund in the future. Uh, and let's let's not look at short term boosts. I mean, that used to be the argument. Let's instead look at what we can use this money to make sure we don't need it in the future, that we, we are more our budgets are more secure and our opportunities are greater. You don't see any of that. It's all special interest. Let's pick an industry. Let's invest in life sciences or whatever the, their pet projects are. And none of this. What can we Let's take this huge opportunity to really change Rhode Island so that it, it grows of its own accord and doesn't need these once a decade boosts from the federal government in order to keep it afloat. Of course, they can't do it because at this point, the entire thing is a grift set up for, uh, for labor unions and other special interests to just take money from other people. That's basically what our state government's about right now. Justin, touch on, if you don't mind, just a, a little bit of a back and forth on Twitter where you were... 
essentially trying to point out this this is socialism that the state has gone into they they try to use different terms of you know it's equity and all this other stuff but but these these a lot of these individuals don't even understand is you're exactly right the one thing that governor mckee was supposed to deliver for the voters it wasn't even going to be a lot of money but it was supposed to be some kind of a sales tax and they, he couldn't even deliver that and then you just wonder and, and i get they give him cover by saying well he wanted it but it was you know the speaker and the senate president took it out i i don't believe that i mean you, you know each one goes to it they know um kind of the math they're going to i also have a problem with when they had the joint uh press conference of you know there's the governor sitting there with the speaker and and the senate president I, it's supposed to be the different branches of government I I don't like all three of them on the same team. It just it reeks too much of backroom deals. OK, you need this. You need that. Um, I, I don't like the optics of it. That's why it's just it's so it's such a loss that the person in the role of the governor was not, you know, a, a Helena folks or God forbid, a Republican. But I, I don't like all of them kind of on the same page, like, all right, you know, we all have to, you know, kind of sing from the same sheet of music here. Yeah, I, I don't like that. And I also don't like it. It looked a lot like, I mean, uh, the, the impression clearly was Shikarchi taking the lead. The governor was just kind of there. Um, yeah. It's like a second in command. It seemed right. Like, or, or third in command, even. That was definitely the impression I got. And with, with Good the point. The, the socialism comment, I mean, that was... I was mainly targeting that at journalists saying they, they've kind of absorbed socialism. And Dan McGowan of the Globe responded that they all they, they all went to the same socialism class and got the same grade, which is kind of a pretty good joke. But uh, the the uh, the idea there is they've all absorbed this notion that the way it works is we all just pool our money into government. Uh, it's our responsibility, and then these people make the best decisions for everybody. And so we judge ourselves by how government spends money. And that's really, and who they give it to. And that's really a detrimental structure we now have built into our state government, where it is about going to get, you know, you pool all the money and then whoever can get the attention of our wise leaders gets the money. And you, you see that even with um, pretty pretty stark terms with Attorney General Narona, who got, 15 out of the 20 new positions he wanted for his office by by putting on a big show, getting a lot of headlines, making noise yeah. on Twitter. He got that, and that's he essentially acted like a special interest, and that's what this encourages: is this tons of money going to housing? I mean, it was another kind of too too honest remark from Chikarchi was uh, I think he said that that housing secretary Stefan Narona now or Stefan Pryor now has boatloads of money, I think was his term. I mean, boatloads of cash to give out for housing. Yeah, that's not how it's supposed to work, but that's right. how it does work when you've got this kind of socialist, whichever government just picks people and whichever constituency, whichever special interest can make the most noise, um, they they will get their, their cut of it. And if you can't make noise, like just the average taxpayer who doesn't have an advocate, um, then you don't, you get nothing. You get you get just about you, you can't even get a scrap. And what, what was hilarious about the sales tax thing, and we talked about it when the governor proposed it, was dropping from seven to six point percent to six point eight five percent is right. nothing. That's a drop That's in right. the hat. It's not going to have any effect. And as as we discussed, you, you've got to get down to around a three percent tax to have a real a real positive effect. But what happens if you propose that? Oh, that's too big. We can't possibly do that. So that's really, it's just kind of a scam that they put on, on taxpayers. And there's there's nobody advocating for us just generally as a group, which always drives me crazy because that's what our representatives are supposed to be doing, but they don't. They're just dolling out money for political favors. And the journalists who swallowed the socialism whole uh, they they just i don't they don't even see it they don't even see that it's a story they don't see that it's a problem it's just life it's just the reality of a modern government in their view and as far as uh, attorney general peter Dorona, uh, do you get the sense that as the three of them are sitting there you know mckee was outvoted two to one uh the other two took meetings with him listened to him seemed to at least you know believe in what he was advocating for uh in some ways i mean he his strategy of shining a light on drawing attention to it, it, it did pay off. He's, he's not getting exactly what he wanted, but he's, he's coming pretty close. 
Yeah, and then I I wouldn't doubt that he overshot his request just so he could negotiate down at the beginning. I sure, mean, that was probably part of it. But yeah, and I mean it's it it did work, and it's, yeah. it's kind of a shame that it worked because we are now dropping our our level of expectation of our elected leaders, people with with real you know important positions. We're dropping them down to to the level of uh, Twitter advocates basically is, is what it, the impression you get and that that's going to have i mean that's one of those things someday we're going to we're going to see you know phd theses and books about how that happened and what what the effects were because it's it's not good if you if you think about it i mean i my biggest experience with the attorney general's office is mostly open meetings for act requests and public records requests that i would look for, i appealed and if you're looking at you you need to be able to look at your attorney general just like judges as just this objective professional person who's going to do everything by the book and instead you get this guy who who negotiates for extra staff in his office, whether justified or not, by going on Twitter and making a bunch of noise. I mean, that does not inspire confidence in our, our kind of legal system. And so I, it worked, the strategy worked, and I think we're all going to be worse off for it in the long run. Folks, quick break, much more ahead. Politics this week. Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorising.com, right here on the John DePietro Show. Falcon Pest Services, 12 months of the year, you could have a pest problem. Serving Rhode Island and Massachusetts called Falcon Pest Services today, 401-739-1322. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. Locally owned and operated, serving Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. They offer services for termites, bed bugs, ants, roaches, mice, rats in the summertime spring fall mosquitoes and many other pests call today for a free consultation whether it's for your home or a restaurant maybe it's once a year maybe it's once a month call falcon pest services today free consultation 401-739-1322 residential and commercial whether it's an office building a school a hotel a restaurant or your home call falcon Pest services today. Free consultation, 401-739-1322. Our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, I want to stay uh, with the budget just for a moment. Also, what are your thoughts about this Cranston Street Armory? I mean, the thing's been there. Is this uh, massive structure. Something, I, 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 first of all, I'm glad they're not, and we're going to touch on the fact that they won't release exactly what happened. But, you know, again, the company that wanted to redevelop it, they had, you know, a lobbyist involved. And I just don't understand, as, as you and I both know, the state has so much property. The state holds on to so much property. That would be a really key area to develop. You want to talk about the state has a housing problem, no question about it. By just letting it sit there and they want to all do these multi-use things, uh, that whole area right there, Dexter Street Park, Cranston Street Armory, um, these old structures that the state just holds on to, it's, in this time, it's, it's valuable real estate that, that something, you know, the private sector could be developing. But other thoughts on the budget and specifically the armory? Well, the armory is interesting because I, I think one, one of the things it exposes is just how honestly reactionary uh, yeah. Rhode Islanders are, especially the insiders. I mean, oh. every, they come on like they're progressive, but they don't want anything to change. You can't knock down right. the armory. That's an old building. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's the reason to knock it down. Maybe just let the free market do it. I mean, that's one of the, the, the biggest impressions i get there um but then it, you know and it ties into what i was talking about before where some of the commentaries we've just got to figure out how to spend the money <laughs> is really how it comes down to and how do you do it they just come up they, a bunch of people in a room say hey this would be neat and we'll, we'll spend taxpayer money on it well I, I think they were talking about an indoor soccer field and uh, state offices and a business incubator and i mean is there demand for this stuff? Right. Is there really? I mean, I a couple of weeks ago, there was kind of a humorous, uh, almost like a trend on Rhode Island Twitter talking about uh, the ugliness and of storage facilities and how many people are, are building storage facilities. Like, well, that's if that's how people are making money with property. Right. 
that's how they're making money with property. They will yes. complain about it, change this, change the incentives yeah. so that that's not the best use of this thing. Supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. And, but, but when you get these government projects, you spend tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars for really a handful of people to sit around and say, how about a soccer field? Those are popular. We'll put one of those in the armory. That's a great, great idea. Kids will love it. You know, and the unions will get to build it. They, they make these plans. They spend a ton of money and there's no basis for it. Let that area become what that area wants to be. I mean, if you go around that area, there, there are people, you know, it's not, ex it's not exactly a poor area. There are people with money over there. It's a nice, classic old neighborhood. Somebody's going to buy that area. And unless you get involved with the government building, like brick building, big block buildings for low income housing on a, like a, like government housing, people will build something that's respectful of the character of the area because they don't want people to look at their building and go, I don't want to go there. That's ugly. They'll, this is what, I mean, one of, the, one of the most wonderful things about Rhode Island is how it has all these little neighborhoods and little, just you go down a street and it's like, just there was a little community that went in its own direction and it looks completely different than everything around it. We, we stopped letting that happen. Instead, we, we just, we come up with these government centralized visions that don't happen. They're super expensive and they, they end up backfiring and, and creating more empty buildings, all to preserve just an old building, which, which just blows my mind. Folks, again, our segment is Politics This Week. With us is Justin Katz. Justin, this uh, other story that kind of ties in with the armory, there was now that uh, the, the whole element of the it was it's now been two and a half months. David Patton, state uh, director, went on leave the business trip to Philadelphia. So it's my understanding I've learned. So it wasn't anything he did. He was apparently saying inappropriate things to these people in, in Philadelphia, meeting about redeveloping the armory. So and, and as you and I have discussed, whatever it was, uh, it, it clearly as soon as they got back on a Friday afternoon, his boss immediately went to human resources. And then the guy on that Monday went out. But now here it is. He's now on paid administrative leave. Um, they won't let anyone in the media know exactly still what was said. The people down in Philadelphia sent emails to the speaker and the governor. They were so offended, what have you, and what was, <clears throat> it's my understanding, said. It's not that he did anything. But what, what do you make of the fact that here it is two months later, and now this just guy that's just out on paid administrative leave, as you and I both know, I mean, that. It, it's foreign to anyone in the private sector. And as much as they keep saying it's a personnel thing, it's the taxpayers that are paying this guy's salary. They won't even, uh, you know, to me, it's like if he did something wrong, terminate him. But otherwise, you know, what, what is your take on this whole situation with Director David Patton? Well, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of withholding some judgment because who knows? It was something he said. Who knows? It was a kind of a, a, a sensitive, woke boardroom full of young sure. young kids and and said something that any one of us might say on a given day especially if we're tired and traveling and that kind of stuff and uh and as far as the leave i mean you, you it's hard to know it's hard to know what's going on here whether he's leveraging uh contractual obligations to stay on beyond what he should which is a classic state worker move or it could be you could almost picture it like the mckee administration uh, just panicking and saying okay uh we can't we can't put you on administrative leave for something you said so why don't you just go out on paid medical leave okay uh, actually no we, we've got to make that unpaid ah now we'll put it back on administrative we're just trying to find some way to not have controversy here and not break our contract and so you could see it being that kind of thing uh and so it's it's really hard to know this guy could could really just be in a turmoil of, of state government lunacy, or he could be milking the system. It's, it's hard to know, and, and we should know something like this. You know, that's just how it works. This this company, this scout, I don't know whose privacy they're trying to protect, but he's a state worker. He's on paid leave. People, the public has an interest. You know, it's just kind of how it goes. Maybe maybe the public will back him. Who knows? This, and this company scout out there complaining about him. We're not protecting his their privacy. They want tens of millions of taxpayer money for their Cranston arm, Armory project. No, your emails are public. Sorry. That's just how it's going to go. We, we get in a situation where they, they get all the they get all this kind of shady benefits of, of being able to be quiet and yet take take taxpayer money and and so on so i i think we we have a right to know what, what's going on and we we should know and it just shouldn't it shouldn't be this kind of secretive uh behavior and i think this is if anything it, it really 
sometimes I have a lot of sympathy for people who take jobs in the government and want everything on a, in a contract because you can get in these whirlwinds, political whirlwinds. And you know, who's going to want to take any of these jobs? I just uh, nobody except just people who are able to play the kind of corrupt game. Well, I and just to put a period on this, so when when he when they went down, this guy David Patton. Again, I don't I don't know. He went with his boss. They go down to Philadelphia. They're representing the state. They're representing the state. The state workers. They have some kind of a meeting in Philadelphia. Something happens. I just feel at this point, Justin, and immediately they knew something had happened because as soon as they came back, his boss went to, as I said, HR, and boom, right away on Monday, this guy was out first on medical leave. But my point is, after two and a half months, either like have disciplinary action, either fire the guy, suspend him, whatever. But this business of just they're all quiet about it, and yeah. he's out on paid leave, so we all have to you know remain in the dark. I, I just don't think it should work that way, right? No, like in absolutely. in every office uh, today, somewhere in America, something's going to happen. Someone's going to have maybe a bad meeting with a client or whatever, and maybe they're going to call and they're going to call the paper company or whatever the business is and complain. And then management's going to have to make a decision. Either it was unwarranted or maybe it was warranted. Okay, you can't operate that way. You're on notice. You're terminated. We don't care what they think. We back you, whatever. But my problem with this is them just it's, it's so typical of the McKee people. Just make a decision. Either like this whole business of the secretness and he's out on paid leave. This is ludicrous. Two and a half months. How important is his job if he can be out for two and a half months? So yeah, well, we, we know the answer to that, right? But right. I, I think you put your finger on something we, we talk about frequently is the people in state government in Rhode Island, especially, are not qualified to be there. I mean, you've got no. many of them have no no None. business experience, no professional nope. experience. It's just like a playground for them. They so when they get these controversies, it's not okay. Make a decision, move on. <laughs> it's it's how do we avoid blowback? Oh, I've got the unions here. I've got these people over here. And to some extent, you can get this in large companies with, with that bureaucratic. But in in government in Rhode Island, it's it's just it's almost just how it works, and it, it shouldn't work that way. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Politics this week with Justin Katz, managing editor at AnchorRising.com right here on the John DePietro Show. Our second- Get the most of your outdoor space with Limitless Outdoors. Call today for a free quote, 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors, they specialize in patios, walkways, steps. They did a fantastic job on my outside steps, outdoor kitchens, landscape lighting, retaining walls, lawn installations, excavation. Call Limitless Outdoors today. Let's dream, build, and enjoy. 401-580-1852. Based in Smithfield, Limitless Outdoors. They also do indoor fireplaces or outdoor fireplaces. Limitless Outdoors. Call them today. Free quote. Get the most of your outside. You're going to love what they can do for you. 401-580-1852. 401-580-1852. Limitless Outdoors. Dream. Build. Enjoy. It's politics this week. With us is Justin Katz, Managing Editor, AnchorRising.com. Justin, let's talk CD1. Cicilline has finally left the stage. Um, several different elements of this, starting with what is your take and thought on Aaron Ruggenberg came within 1,500 votes of beating then uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee. This was the 2018 Democrat primary. McKee won by 1,500 votes. If not, when Raimondo left, Aaron Ruggenberg would be Governor Ruggenberg. He is running. Uh, he's taking some opposition. But what do you make of his decision that he's so far the only one he announced that he would have voted no uh, regarding the, the whole situation where on the debt limit? Yeah, well, yeah talk about talk about uh, people not qualified to be in government. Uh, the the thing with Regenberg is he's just an activist. And so yes, it, there's the and what strikes me is his 
I mean, his language, he, he was talking about how he's going to disarm the Republican extremists, so holding, holding the government hostage. It's about, it's, it's how extreme can I sound? And this is not somebody you send, I mean, as we've discussed before, David Cicilline was very comfortable with that kind of language as well. But especially when you're going to be in a minority party, I don't know why Rhode Islanders would want to send somebody to, to Congress to just make a lot of noise, fight the other side, be fun to watch on MSNBC or whatever, CNN or whatever. Uh, but that's really, it's just kind of an immature uh activist response to some extremist from, as well yeah, yeah, exactly and i mean let's let's note too that sabina matos when when asked about the debt ceiling offered a similar republican extremist conversation and so it's it's just striking to me and it, it's it's kind of you know disappointing as well because there are you know whoever's elected to congressional district one is going to represent republicans that's it's just a, a matter of, of fact and so the idea that that they're just so comfortable with, with the most extreme rhetoric they can come up with and Regenberg leading the way, it's, it's, it's disappointing. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, respectfully disagree. I think he, he's, uh, we would both agree. I mean, the guy is not stupid, but in, it, it all begins with winning the Democrat primary. And as much as I would never vote for Regenberg, but he's an extremist, you know, much like the Republicans, if there is a lane for someone who is now it's like the America first candidate, it's the Chip Roy, Matt Gates. You know, they were saying that Kevin McCarthy shouldn't even have been sitting in the Oval Office with Biden. In their mind, like you don't even sit with the Democrat president. Regenberg, when you get into a primary and he's on stage, there is a percentage of the crowd that's going to be so far left that they are anti everything. They are also under the mindset to me, uh, Justin, of, you know, never compromise, uh, always just making demands. So I, I think he's not to be underestimated. Again, I wouldn't vote for him. I disagree with it. But there, I think there is an audience for, for that type of candidate. You know, else oh, I want to also just if you want to respond on that. But I, I think just the element of Republicans are evil and you don't even sit down and you don't do a deal with them. It, it is. It's immature. It's impractical. But but there is a crowd that cheers on, you know, cheers on that type of thing. And and maybe, you know, that's almost like their type of candidate. Oh, absolutely. And, and even if and for him, it's a good move, even if he doesn't win the nomination or the, the election. And that that's his lane. That's kind of his brand. He's, he's going to make tons of money over his course, his course of his life, milking rich progressives with that kind of rhetoric. So it's it's a good move for his life strategy i suspect but um it is it, i think it's a it's an indication of a problem that there's such a large market for that kind of rhetoric and that the media kind of eats it up and, and elevates people like that um i also before we come back to cd1 i did want to ask you also we had one of the cabinet secretaries in town uh at the end of the week and you know governor mckee they did a big rollout and it's all about green energy and they're showing the block island wind farm even though i don't think there's any wind but um but one of the pictures was there is the cabinet secretary um on i think it was on a boat but but there's pat crowley and and then it occurred to me justin katz that is governor mckee all he talks about is you know green energy and blah 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 it it I think what kind of going, has gone under the radar is the, the reason he's pushing that is, as you can imagine, they're all going to have to be union jobs. This is just the new frontier that I don't hear them really talk about, that as much as they push wind energy and green energy, what they leave out of the equation is it's just going to be another area, um, almost like construction, that organized labor will control in the state. Yeah, well, certainly, and that's uh, there was the picture I think you're referring to. It was kind of interesting, right behind uh, Jennifer Granholm, the secretary. Uh, yeah, you can't see his face, but there's McKee in his yellow windbreaker, uh, almost like he, I don't know if uh, the story you can so, sort of tell for the pictures him hovering around Pat Crowley. What can I get, you, yes. Mr. Crowley? It, it seemed almost like that. Like he's Crowley's talking to the secretary, McKee's in the background, uh, just just trying to get what crumbs he can from the conversation but it's it is it, it's wind energy is not proven it's very expensive 
it needs taxpayer subsidies. And here we are, what are we gonna do? We're gonna do to it what we've done to our roads in Rhode Island. We're gonna make it possibly expensive to build and install because you've got this special interest group that's that's trying to get their their cut. And that's that's really what it comes down to. You've got the, the whole, I mean, in some ways, the whole green movement is a way to increase, to, to lure in the money of, of uh, which progressives want to invest in this kind of thing, and then give it to, uh, along with a bunch of taxpayer dollars, give it to the labor unions that get to build these things. I mean, that's that's kind of the the, the play here, and it's it's not it's not the kind of strategy that we would come up with if we were saying, okay, how do we actually address energy problems? How do we actually address the potential of climate change? It's it's really it's really makes the whole thing feel like a scam. And of course, I, I have to admit I'm, I'm biased because whenever I see Pat Crowley in a picture, I think there's something going on. That's and there is. Your instincts yeah. are right on. No, 100%. So now also, speaking of the CD1 race, uh, it was announced that a former Attorney General, Patrick Lynch, is backing this. And I'm not familiar with him, Gabe Ammo, but he certainly uh, you know, worked in Washington, uh, knows quite a bit of people. I'm just curious if you feel, does that have any any pull and endorsement from the former attorney general for someone in the CD1 race? Well, I, I think it, it could. I mean, we've got the, we were just talking about uh, Aaron Regenberg's lane and this game, I don't know if it's AMO or AMO. Exactly. Yeah. He, uh, he's in kind of the, the Democrat insider lane and, and it's sort of a magaziner successfully rode that into, into Congress. And so he's going for it. And I mean, this, he, from looking into his background, he, he goes right in that that category of what qualifies him. I mean, he's done, from what I can tell, he's done nothing at all except in you know, supporting politicians and in their, you know, high, high Biden administration, Obama administration, Bondo administration. He's got no practical life experience to bring to, to the job. And now granted it's Congress, but even there, uh, you know, this idea that Congress people should be representative. I mean, we're talking about the House here, which is kind of like the House of Commons in, in England, where it's supposed to be the, the rabble-rousing, represent-the-people kind of group. And here he is, he's got no experience outside of government. It's just, that doesn't feel like how, I mean, so he's elected, who's he going to represent? Government, for government, by government, and of government. I mean, it's really kind of the, the way it goes. That said, I mean, compared to some of the, the extremist language on a debt ceiling we were just talking about, his, his comment was kind of measured. So at least he understands he has to work with people and, and uh, he understands how the game works. But it's, it's, I wish we could come up with people who were just as respectable and, and moderated and not necessarily purely government life career people. So I think in that regard, uh, Lynch's endorsement uh, would Will kind of put the help put the brand on him. Like this is our insider guy for this this race. I think it's interesting, also, Justin Katz, in a state dominated entirely by Democrats, he's a person of color, and there's no person of color in Rhode Island. They talk about that no woman has been elected to Congress from Rhode Island. That's true. And Ruggenberg, right now, you could almost call him the favorite. Magaziner knocked out the women that run against him, but there's no person of in this Democrat-controlled state. There is no person of color that holds statewide office and has ever been sent to Congress. I think it's interesting that the media even shies away from pointing that out, that, you know, what does it say about the Rhode Island Democrat Party that with all this power and so forth, that that there is no person of color that that holds office? So um, because if, if it was the other way around, if Republicans controlled everything, I, I think the other side would be screaming up and down up. My God, we need some diversity. We need some equity. And of, of course, this should be the person. My God, like, you know, the same way it was almost when President Obama came became president, like it's time. Um, I noticed that, that to me, that's a conversation that that the, the Democrats uh, in our area are uncomfortable talking about. And for whatever reason, the media uh, doesn't pursue it, because I, I think it is an interesting question that we're about. Can a person of color get elected? In a Democrat primary, forget about the general for a moment, but can a person of color win a Democrat primary running running for office? Now, Justin Katz, finally, uh, Newsmakers, they did a full segment on the CD1 race. And I just want to get your thought. I'll go first on this. 
and and we're hearing a lot of the same type of thing of like where are the announcements and how come we're not seeing the traditional form of campaigning and and no one's doing a lot of those things to me it reads as people aren't doing the the normal political activities that would involve the media and i come back to that and i you know i communicate with those guys and so forth but what i uh, they they don't seem to want to acknowledge is be, to me because of ballot harvesting our elections have changed and you know mckee proved that he he ultimately he lost day of voting to helena folks and she beat him in the debates but the unions and ballot harvesting got him over the hump and the same thing with the lieutenant governor and i mean it was really evident with magaziner who he lost to alan fung but because of harvesting which is you know that takes precedent that's why he's in congress so i'm just curious what you thought of the newsmakers panel on channel 12 regarding uh the cd1 race well you know they there are actually i think two factors here I, I, the, the ballot harvesting is definitely one I mean, just the the idea that you could pay people to go out and collect ballots and yep you know early voting mail-in voting day of whatever all these different kinds of ways to just rack up the votes even putting aside fraud i mean just just the idea that you can you can do that changes the race and as we we've, we've pointed out with magazine and others the the real challenge of an election then is to get to be the one that the that gets on that ticket that that gets the ballots harvested for them and that's basically it and you don't need debates because it, you're not trying to reach a broad public there so that's exactly and I think the other factor is uh, social media. To the extent you need to, any broad support or to create this, I mean, in, in marketing, especially for things like book releases and that kind of stuff, they talk about creating the impression of a whirlwind. And so you pick a target audience and you, you make sure your product is marketed to them everywhere. So they feel like everybody in the world is talking about this and this is the exciting thing. And that's that's a social media event. You don't need to go on, on newsmakers. You don't need to go have have uh, signing ceremonies like exactly loves to do you don't yeah. do any of that what you need to do is targeted marketing to a constituency and so you put those two things together and you get targeted mainly social media marketing to a, a very limited constituency that has a say in whose name gets harvested for for votes and that's that's really what it comes down to so like i you it's, it's one of those things sort of like first amendment issues where the where i'm always shocked that journalists are fall on the side against the First Amendment when they don't agree with the politics. It's very similar to that. You'd think journalists would be looking into these threats to their business model, their business model of let's reach a broad public and then you do things or advertise with us, uh, so either generate news or advertise to reach a broad public through us as the media. But they're, they're not defending that turf at all. And it, it seems mostly because they're just – they're so enamored, they feel just so on the team with the Democrats that they can't really see their own interests through that fog. Yeah, the game has changed. Folks, again, our segment is politics this week. He is Justin Katz, managing editor, anchorrising.com. Justin, excellent job as always, and we'll talk to you again. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon. Make sure to find the John DePietro Show Facebook page, and you can watch all the action on the scene live stream. Follow it all real-time live stream just follow john dipetro show right there on the facebook page you're listening to the john dipetro show it's am 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at the website dipetro.com don't believe the spin you're hearing from the mckee people about trying to save or reinvent or reimagine rhode island college it's all about state jobs union jobs hiring more workers that's what it's about the fact of the matter is it's also obscene what is going on with congressman former congressman jim langevin who wanted to be the president of island college doesn't have the proper degrees for it so instead they've invented this little post for him cybersecurity, his little fiefdom to give him a place and then uh, you know, sets up like that, which then just means the hiring of more people. So the, if, if there's anyone that's listening that actually believes Rhode Island College should have a cybersecurity 
element to it. it it's, it's just ludicrous. But this, this governor, the one thing he was supposed to deliver was the sales tax, uh, tax cuts. Our taxes are way too high. We are way overtaxed in this state. Uh, there's certainly an opportunity <clears throat> to try to have an advantage settled between Massachusetts and Connecticut. But the governor just is, and, and he can easily say, oh, well, I wanted it. They took it out. But how much did he really want it? How much did he really fight for it? And it was pretty measly to begin with. All of that COVID money blown. But whenever you hear about Rhode Island College, what it's really about is that is all about just more state jobs, more union jobs. If they really, truly want to improve that school, between URI and Rhode Island College. So you should have every angle covered. Uh, Rhode Island College does have good education. A lot of teachers went there and then get their master's um, in, in teaching and also School of Nursing. But what Rhode Island College really should also initiate and have um, is some kind of a technical school. For whatever reason, the state just allows New England Tech to run virtually with no competition. And New England Tech is wildly expensive. It's very expensive. It's not like the old, remember the old commercial of uh, Break Those Chains in uh, Rhode Island Trade School or whatever it was. But New England Tech, that has its own campus, it's a for-profit college. But that's where the state should really move into. Uh, and this thing what they're trying to do with free tuition at Rhode Island College, it just makes it more expensive they're actually lessening the education, not improving it, not making it better. And they were almost trying to turn it into like a larger CCRI. So, but if they were truly serious, <clears throat> they would uh, initiate, and I would have no problem with that, by the way. If they said that if you could go for a trainee school for two years for free, now that would be worthwhile because then after two years they could, you know, that the students could then start to get jobs within the trades. That would make more sense. That would have some value to it. But but right now, I, I think it's a big whiff where the governor, in fact, did not get any type of sales tax curbed, which should be, and it should be a priority, but they don't care because it doesn't affect them in that, in that way. Um, the only way these elected officials seem to move on anything as it affects them. I like the idea that one of the presidential candidates said that all of the, con you know, the people in Congress, the congressional representatives, their health care plan should be that they have to go to the, the VA, and then it would be straightened out. But one of the biggest problems people don't realize is the union problems that come in anytime you try to have an organization like that, and then it ends up it ends up being like the, you know, the DMV or any other type of government type of agency. But just staying on track here in the state, um, the plan for an island college, it's really not a plan to improve the school, give direction to school, or even help the students at the school. The real focal point of it seems to be more on, it's all just about trying to add more state jobs, more union jobs. As many of you know, I mean, they control him. So now, as much as Governor McKee will say, well, no new money for the soccer stadium, no new money for Superman building and blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is they, they find another way to get the special interest, the money. You're listening to The John DePietro Show.